Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at Okay, I'm going to, I'm speaking today, and I'm speaking, we're talking about the social kingdom, and I wanted, uh, Chris asked me to speak concerning this, so I'm going to give you a big picture, and then we're going to get down to the smallness part. I'm going to do half a message, stop, worship, and do the rest. Okay, are you with me? Here we go. All right. Now, you have to understand how God thinks. I'm going to try to get this across to you so you can understand the, 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 the fullness of God and, and, and how he thinks. Now, God comes along, and we see this in the book of Matthew, because the book of Matthew says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the other things will be added unto you. So the first thing we see in, with God is he wants, to seek, we, he wants us to seek his kingdom. Now, you have to understand, uh, uh, the kingdom is the governing influence of a king. It's, uh, a king is not a king without land or territory. You have to have territory to be a king. So our king has territory cosmically. But he wants to impact his territory with his will, purpose, his intent, establishing his culture, his values, his morals, his lifestyle, which all reflect the king's desires. So... God comes along, he says, I want you to seek first my kingdom because it's a kingdom, it's not a religion. Christianity is not a religion. It is a kingdom with a king who we have a relationship with. And he doesn't want to be called just the king, he wants to be called our father. Chris made a great illustration of that, I think it was last week, talking about that. So we're not seeking a religion, we're seeking a kingdom, a kingdom. Now, with those of us who are believers, many of us, we don't understand, in America particularly, we don't understand what a kingdom is because we're at a, we're, some people call, now, can I just tell you, I'm a, I'm a political science guy. I, I got my degree in American government, so please, we do not live in a democracy. When people say it on TV, I go, come on, guys, you are ignorant. We are a constitutional republic. Our founding fathers didn't want a, a, a democracy because it led to mobocracy. So, but that's beside the point. So here we are in a, in a kingdom, and we don't understand because we elect people to do things in our kind of government, and it's okay for while we live in the earth. But the best rule of government is God's way, and it's when he's the king. So religion is really man's search for God, and religion is frustrating. Religion preoccupies you in order to distract you from your hunger and emptiness for the kingdom. Our heart is for a kingdom with a king. Religion is designed to keep you so full of assignments for the, that, that you never get to the kingdom. It's hard work and it doesn't work out. You understand what I mean? You see, religion is my attempt to get to God. God's already got to me. That's what his kingdom is all about. He sought me out. He sought you out. And he placed you in the kingdom. Now watch this. When you were born again, you were birthed. You went from one kingdom to another kingdom. There actually is only two kingdoms. And so he took you out of the kingdom of darkness and he put you in the kingdom of God. 
Okay, the kingdom of God. And so when you came from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God, you were a thrust into a brand new kingdom with a brand new king, and your, your heart was changed and you love God, but your thoughts still remain a lot with the kingdom of darkness. That's why it says in Romans chapter 12, you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What happens? When you get in the kingdom of God, God wants to renew your mind. The only way you can have a renewed mind and have his thoughts, because if you're not careful, you can live in the kingdom of God, in the house of God, and still have the thoughts of the kingdom of darkness. That's why you have to be in the word, be in prayer, so he can change your mind, so you can, you can uh, be an a, a, a instrument worthy of God for, for God to flow through. Okay, now watch this. So God's, God's initial original intent was that he wanted to, to uh, send a group of people from heaven to earth. He wanted to go from the invisible to the visible and establish his kingdom in the visible. And so what he did is he, he sent uh, this uh, group of colonists, we might say, colonists because we're in a kingdom. He sent a group of colonists called Adam and Eve. He sent them to earth to establish a visible kingdom of his invisible kingdom. All right? And so then he gave them, he gave them uh, a, a constitution. And the preamble is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the preamble. And then he goes and he, he says, he sets them in the garden on the earth, and he says, I want you to tend the garden. I want you to expand it, expand the kingdom and rule over it, and then he gave him a colonial charter. Now, for those of you who are historians, you will love this kind of stuff because we, we need to think of God more in terms of the way he thinks rather than what we think because we have got into this, this realm of religion and churchianity and, you know, kind of, yeah, yeah, and then we get in a routine that really wasn't God's intent. So God comes along, he gives a, a preamble, a constitution, and he gives them a colonial charter out of Genesis chapter 1, 26. And he said, uh, let, then God said, let us make man in our image and, and in our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, etc." And he said, so God blessed them. He created him, male and female. He blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves upon the ground. That was the colonial charter. A problem came. This little snake. This snake came. So here's the big picture. Watch this. The big picture is God wanted to create some beings just like himself, place them on the earth, and let them rule it for him as vice regents of his heavenly kingdom and his heavenly government. Now, what happened is, as I just mentioned, God gave this land, because you're not a king, and the Bible says we're kings and priests. You're not a king unless you have land. The Bible said, the Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, right? So the earth belongs to the, to the Lord. But then it says, the highest heavens in Psalm 115 belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. So what he did, he gave the colonial charter to the colonists, said, rule over this, expand it, and you take heaven and come down to earth with it. That's why we have a kingdom prayer in Psalms, in, in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Our Father who art in heaven, how be thy name? Your 
kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He says every time you pray, you pray that way. Pray the kingdom, God's rule on the earth. So we are God's colonial charter people, his colonists who have been sent here to establish his kingdom. Now, a little problem existed. The, the snake came and, and deceived the, the, the king and, and his wife and, and uh, took over the title deed from these, these people. Well, God wasn't surprised. He put everything in motion. So this whole, this whole constitution also is a history of how God intended to bring it back into being. And so God, God set in motion his redemptive plan and he sent this redemptive plan in place so he could once again give the, give the title deed back to his kings, his children. And that's where Jesus comes in. Jesus came back. Now we see this in Ephesians chapter 4, 11. The Bible says that Jesus himself went to hell when he, was, when he died on the cross. He, you know, we think of this just kind of, uh, he dies on the cross and then three days later, no, he was active. The Bible said he went to hell and took captivity captive. He took the keys of hell and death. He took the title deed back from the devil. Can you imagine the surprise of the devil when he realized that, God, that Jesus wasn't dead? And he took the keys of hell and death, took it back, and then he took it back, and he gives it back to his, original, his colonists. Who are you? Now watch this. You've got to understand this whole kingdom idea is, is God's attempt to, to uh, show us what, what we are to be a part of. Now, as, as kingdom citizens, we are also, the Bible says, seek first the kingdom. So we are ambassadors. King, a kingdom always has ambassadors. An ambassador speaks the words of the king, concerned with only the interests of the king, speak only in behalf of the king's government, maintains connection and communication with the king, and carries out the policies established by the king. So therefore, as ambassadors of Christ, we should only be concerned with the interest of our king, King Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. Your personal opinion doesn't matter. God could care less what you think. All of you, uh, never mind, I better not say that. So in the world of human diplomacy, an ambassador never shares his opinion. It is completely improper for him to do so. An ambassador who strays across that line can actually jeopardize the nation's reputation and be fired from his job. An ambassador simply communicates the position of his government regardless of his personal views, and the same is true in the kingdom of God. It's true. We are the ambassadors of God. Our opinion doesn't matter. And when we're, whenever we're asked to take a position contrary to the king's will, we're just to fall back and say this. We're just simply to say, well, the position of my government is. Is it your opinion? I care less what you think. What's the position of your government and your king? So you turn to the scripture. And, and, and can I just say this? All the, po the political situations right now are all answered in here. Amen. We could just apply things, and if they would just take them and apply them, it would work. And so, uh, would you just if someone comes up to you, well, what do you, what do you say about uh, this, uh, you know, that? There's a myriad of things. I don't want to get into that today. But if they, take, if they tell you a position opposite 
of your king. You just have to say, well, my, my king says this, and our government's position is this, and you tell them what it is. It's never your opinion. So when, when you're asked to take a, a position that you don't agree with, with which, and there's all kinds of positions today. I mean, abortion alone is one. And when someone says, so, well, you should, you know, you should have a, uh, you should allow people to have right over their, 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 their bodies and their, their decisions and their choices. Where does that stand in Scripture? Come on, you, you show me. I just read Psalm 139 this week. Oh, my word. Before you were born in your mother's womb, God knew you. He was, he was secretly preparing you. I mean, this whole this Psalm 139 is just incredible. But I, I go on a rabbit trail, so stay with me. So, in this kingdom, you're an ambassador. You to declare his word. And as long as we concentrate on our king's interests and represent him faithful, he will take care of our interests. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. And, 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 a, and an ambassador, the, the, he has a home, he has, uh, he has resources, he has all these things. The same thing is true of you. As an ambassador, God takes care of you. He gives you resources from the heavenly uh, kingdom, and he takes care of you. Now, along with this, with the kingdom of God, you have to understand the kingdom has a lot of components here, and I'm, I'm going to transition now to show you something. So we have this kingdom, we have a king, we, there's a territory, there's a constitution, there's a citizenry, there's law, there's codes of ethics, it, there's a culture, all these things. And there, there's also a health program called healing. They're asking for health programs today. Well, we got one, it's called healing. We have an education program. It's called the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. We have a taxation system, it's called tithing. There's a central communication system, it's gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's a, there's a diplomatic corps, all of us, the ambassadors of Christ. There's a system of administration, the administration of the Spirit through the church. There, there's an economy in the kingdom of God. It's a system of giving and receiving or seed time and harvest. That's all about the kingdom. Now, if we understand how the kingdom works, and you need to understand much more about the kingdom, I can't get into that. But as we, as we understand that, in this kingdom, then God comes along, and God decides to do something. He decides in Matthew 6, the book of Matthew is the gospel of the kingdom. And we see in the, in, in the book of Matthew, God comes along and he's talking to his disciples and he's talking to, to uh, Peter. And he's asking him, uh, you know, who do people say that I am right now? And so Jesus was leading something. How many of you know Jesus never asks a question that he doesn't know the answer to and that he's not leading you someplace? So he says, who do people say that I am? And they, the other disciples are saying all these people. And, and Peter comes along, and because everybody knew Peter, he always kind of off the top of his mouth, he was just, you know, he's saying things all the time. And, and he said, well, you're Christ, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus kind of, whoa, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. Now watch this. This is an incredible scripture. This is the key scripture in the, old, the, in the entire New Testament. He says this. Now remember, we're in a kingdom. God has redeemed us, and by, by, by his plan, he's bringing us into a place where we can be his ambassadors. Now, here Jesus is at the start of his, his, his missionary journey in, on the earth, and he speaks to Peter, 
And he says, Simon Barjona in verse 17. But then he calls him Peter the next verse. What does that mean? It means, and he, re- he answers the question. He says, those of you who will receive revelation from God, your name will be changed. In other words, your character will change. Because Simon means a reed, blown about by every wind of doctrine. Peter is a rock, standing strong and true. Jesus, in that moment, says, upon your revela- the revelation of God, you will be a, a powerful rock, and he says, in my church. Now, everybody at that time knew what churches were. Churches weren't just what we think of today as a place of, 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 of spiritual or religious activity. Churches back then were, were what they called call that one. So you could have a crocheting church. You could have a, a farm church. You could have a vegetarian church. You could have an army church. You could have all these different interests. You know, you could have a rodeo church where you, talk, you just get together and you talk about your special interest. You're called out for that. Jesus comes along and he says this. He says to him, now remember, they're in the Roman kingdom. He says, Upon this rock of revelation, Peter, I just changed your name, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, he sits saying it's in motion. Now, remember, he's in a, we're in a kingdom here. All of a sudden, he comes along, and he says, I'm going to build my church, my ecclesia. Ecclesia means called out ones. I'm going to build my called out ones, my church, and I'm going to give them power over hell itself. And then he says, and I'm going to bind on earth. You will bind on earth. It will be bound in heaven. You will loose on earth, and it will be loosed in heaven. And he says, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. Now, this is, this is just powerful. Most people think that, are you still with me? So here in this, remember this kingdom, he now places an instrument that he's going to use, use to advance his kingdom. It's called the church or the ecclesia. And he sets it right in the middle of the Roman Empire. In the fullness of time, he sets it right there. And he says, and he uses it. Now, you have to understand, in God, in Jesus' terms, church was not a religious term. It was a governmental term. It was a uh, called out ones. It was definitely not a religious word. It was used by the Greeks to refer to the Senate or other political groups that were chosen by the government. And the Romans, when they took over the Greeks, adopted this terminology and used the term ecclesia to refer to their senate. So when, when uh, Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to take my ecclesia, I'm going to build my senate, I'm going to build my government function. The senate at that point was a, was a powerhouse. They were handpicked by the emperor to receive his thoughts, his desires, his passions, his intent, and their job was to take the mind of the king and turn it into legislation that, they, that could be implemented in the kingdom. They were to know his mind, see that everything he wished was carried out, and in order to do this, they had to stay in close contact with the king. They had to talk to him, they had to give, he had to give them information, and Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to build my ecclesia, my senate. So he was telling us that the church is a political term not a religious term. All of you people who do not like politics, I'm sorry, you are involved. 
I don't like the politics of the world necessarily, but boy, God says, I'm going to give, I'm going to create a political entity in, in the spirit, in the church, because you are the Senate. Meaning he was telling us that the idea of keys and binding and loosing was not a religious term. It's a governmental political term. He was basically saying in the same, he's basically saying in the same way that Caesar is Lord of his government and has created his senate or his ecclesia, I also will build and create my senate, my cabinet, my ecclesia, and it shall be built on the revelation of Jesus Christ as the Son of the living God. And he was telling Peter that. I'm going to build all that. So Jesus established a political force, not a religious force. So here, here, the ecclesia or the senate is a, is a group entrusted with secret information, critical for the operation of the kingdom. So he sets the church in the middle of the kingdom, and he says, you're going to be my instrument. You're going to be my legislative uh, group, cohesive group, to actually legislate in the political realm in the earth as the kingdom of God. So when people come to me and say, well, you guys just stay in the church. <laughs> There's no way. We are called to be everywhere. We're called to occupy till he comes. We're called to be salt and light. There's no way. And Jesus wants, comes along wants to give us secret information. What is the secret information? It's keys to the kingdom. That's secret information. It's whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's not just binding spirits necessarily. It's to, it's to bind. Bind means to, to actually lock up, prohibit, or restrict to loose means to unlock or permit. So on earth, we as kings have dominion authority so we can prohibit on earth. And what we prohibit on earth, heaven will prohibit. This is interesting. God says, Jesus said this, if you prohibit, I'll prohibit it. If you loose it, I'll loose it. Or heaven. You get this? So it starts with us. We're always saying, God, would you, would you just do something? He's saying, why don't you do something? And so we have, on earth, we have dominion authority because we've been given the colonial charter that I mentioned to you. Are, are you still with me? So here we are with the ecclesia. The management of the earth is totally up to us. We're responsible for the evil and the ills and everything about this. And it, God cannot interfere on earth unless we release him to do so. And when we release him, heaven invades our territory. That's why he says, when you pray, just call me into it. Say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we pray, we, uh, Lord, uh, we're calling you out about this, uh, this abortion issue in America. We're asking you, come, 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 Holy Spirit. Lord, we're, we're asking you to come about all this uh, uh, you know, rebellion. We're asking you to come and, and move. We tend to look at the earth with earthly eyes. You know, we have periodic ups and downs of things and economic upheavals and downturns and chronic shortages or this happens and that happens. What if we looked at it from heaven's eyes? And we don't just say, well, that's, that's just life. No, what if we were praying? We took the keys of the kingdom because the kingdom of heaven, the, you see, there are no shortages in the kingdom of heaven. There, there's... there's uh, we need to stop operating with a mindset of, of earth, never enough, and we need to say more than enough, and we need to say, Lord, your, your will from heaven be done here. So he gives us the keys of the kingdom. 
and everything must change. First of all, he gives us the key of knowledge. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you according to Luke chapter 8. And so we go through all this. I don't have time to, I have about 56, 60 pages here. So I'm just going to give you a few things. Are you still with me? Okay, I'm going to stop in just a minute, and then we're going we're gonna to move into something here. But then he says, uh, he comes along and he opens, God begins to give to the ecclesia keys of the kingdom that bind and loose and that take authority over hell. Did you hear what I said? We can take authority over hell itself. And so he says, one of them is the key of prayer. Jesus, we can see this with the feeding of the 5,000. What happens? Jesus took the key of prayer and thanksgiving and fed 5,000 or 15, 20,000. The key of prayer. We see this in all, all the scripture, Matthew chapter 6, when I just said, he says, uh, when you address me as, as, your, as your king, address me as father and, and request these things and you, you, can, you pray to heaven out of heaven to earth, you, you pray his will on the earth, you pray your provision, you pray continually that your debt load is eliminated, no offenses. You pray that you will overcome the enemy. You pray all these things. That the, the, the Lord's Prayer uh, gives us all that. And so what God is saying, I have placed my ecclesia, my instrument, my tool, in the middle of the king, the, this colonial charter, this colony on the earth, where there are so many rebellious children now, and I place the ecclesia there to determine the outcome of what happens on earth. And then he says, I give you the keys that you can open doors and close doors. And he says it starts with prayer. Worship team, are you here? I call upon you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hustle. And so what happens, he... God says, in, are, have you gotten this? So we have a kingdom. God rules over us. He's he, he taken the title deed back. He's given it to us in the church, the ecclesia. We're the senate. We're those who legislate in the heavens and legislate so that culture can become the way God intended it to be and not be ruled by the enemy. We have authority over hell and hell's intent and hell's purposes. So we can cut off assignments of the enemy. So we're gonna we're gonna pray. Can you give me ten minutes? You may be seated. Time for the coat to go off. Wow. Are are you catching this this morning? It's we got to be active in the Holy Spirit here. We're the ecclesia now. Watch this. This is, this is key. you got to stay with me. All around the world now, everybody's seeking to be connected. There's fiber optics. There's satellites. There's all these connectivity things that are trying to get us connected. And yet, I've never seen a more disconnected time. We need a relational connectivity that comes from God. We don't need personal individuality and self-esteem. We've had enough of that. Self-fulfillment, self-help. We need God. The focus has been too much on me. And so we, we, we're living in this kind of attitude. We weren't made to live by ourselves. You're not made. The Bible says Genesis 2.18, it's not good for man to be alone. 
We're made for relationships. We're made to be, we're made to be connected. Even Jesus needed friends. And we see the word fellowship in the Bible, which I don't think we really understand. It's the word agape fellowship, which is, which is koinonia, which is, it's not just hanging out. It's not just fellowship. It's not just, you know, eating with each other, spending time. It's soul, soul to soul, miraculous connection in which God begins to move in our lives. And the postmodern generation longs for this more than anything else. There is such a desire for this because there's such brokenness in our world today. And so it's essential that we connect for emotional, physical, and spiritual benefits. Dr. Edward Hallowell said this, we are a nation of doers. We hurry from place to place, filling our lives with all kinds of activities, sometimes overscheduling our kids and ourselves. But what really sustains us emotionally, psychologically, and physically is connectedness, the feeling that we are part of something that matters, something larger than ourselves that gives life meaning. Just as there's a vitamin deficiency, there's a human contact deficiency connective deficiency and it weakens the body the mind and the spirit it ravages its ravages can be severe depression physical illness and even early death or it can be mild it can be underachievement fatigue loneliness just as we need vitamin c each day we also need a dose of human contact human connectedness each day we all need the food of the holy spirit amen jesus comes along and i'm going to give you four metaphors of what this means jesus comes along now you know what it means to the ecclesia now. You understand the ecclesia in the atmosphere or the realm of the kingdom. Jesus comes along, he sets the ecclesia, and then he starts building it with all his teachings in the New Testament. And the Bible says, even in the Old Testament, the Bible says in, in, in uh, uh, Psalm 68, verse 6, he says he sets the solitary in families. Do you know what the word solitary? I went to the... Uh, the uh, Concordance to see what solid, what uh, solitary means. It means his darlings, his favorite people, those that may be solitary, but he loves. He says, I set them in families. Now watch this, watch this. In the Old Testament, set means something that you don't understand. Set means this. In the Old Testament, they, they would take the tabernacle of Moses and they would move it through the, through the wilderness. Whenever the cloud moved, of course, they would pick up the tabernacle of Moses. Those of you who don't know what it was, it was basically a, a tent where they had the Ark of the Covenant and they would do their sacrifices. And what they would do, they would as soon as the cloud would move, they would move and they would pick it all up. In, in the tabernacle of Moses, there was, there was these silver tent, they call them silver tenons. And the silver tenons went into the foundation and established it so the whole building could be set upright. The word tenon is the word hand in, in Hebrew. And silver is for redemption. What this was, was God was setting them where he had planted them or wanted them to be. He set them with the laying on of hands. He set them in place. That's why the laying on of hands in the, in the New Testament is so very important. When you lay hands on people, there is something spiritual and impacting and powerful that takes place. He says, I set them into this building with the laying on of hands. Oh. And then he comes along in, in Psalm 122. Psalm, no, Psalm 92. He says, uh, he says in the end, I'm going to... It says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. And even when they're old, they won't 
they'll still have fruit. I'm thanking God for that scripture. He says, I'm planting you in the house of God. I'm planting you. We, we don't understand. You don't see flying trees around us. Trees don't fly. What, they're, they're planted. If you transplant a tree too often, it will die. It will dwarf. It won't get big. It will plant. Now, let me just tell you this. I've been basically, I've been in four, four ecclesias my whole life, four churches. The last one for 36 years. The previous one was to prepare me for this ecclesia. And if you ask me, if you ask me the key to my family, people will ask, well, why are your kids in ministry? Why are they doing, why is, you know, you and Connie, you've had these wonderful kids. No, it wasn't really us. It was the house. We had them in the house. They were squirming around underneath the chairs when we had prayer meetings, you know, and they just, I didn't care. They were going to get the presence. And when they got in the house, they got the presence. And when you plant yourself, you flourish. And what, 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 what happens is you have this, this integral thing that happens inside of you. We don't have this enough today. People go, they move. Uh, do you know the United States of America is the most mobile nation in the world? There, people move more often in the USA than any other country in the world. Every, the average is every five years, move someplace. And so what, what we do is we get the same thing with church, not realizing that it's in church when our roots grow that we begin to grow. He says, you will flourish where you're planted. And a lot of people, they, 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 they say they're planted, but can I just say this? If you're only an attendee here, you're not planted. You have to be connected. Now, how do I know this? L let me explain this to you. I'm going to give you four. Give me eight more minutes. Okay. Four metaphors here. The Bible calls us, in, in, this, in this house, we're a brick in a building. The Bible compares the church to a spiritual building, Ephesians 2.20. You believers are like a building that God owns. Jesus is the most important stone in the building, and the whole building is joined together in Christ. You're being built into a place where God lives through the Spirit. The key to building a church structure is that all the parts have to fit together. I remember when we were building this building in 1993-94. All the parts were laying on the ground. But until they were connected, they were not a building. And all of a sudden, it's the same thing in, with us. We have to be connected. We have to be uh, built together, formed together. Otherwise, we're not a part of the building. In a building, the connected parts support each other. We, we support beams, support other beams. And walls support other walls. And we need support. I don't know about you, but I need you. I need support. You need we need emotional, physical, spiritual support, and, and we've got to have that. So each one of us are a brick or a part of a building, but we've got to be connected. Secondly, the second metaphor is we're a member of a body. The Bible compares us to being a part of a body, to a physical body. Romans 12, 4, just as there are many parts to our bodies, so it is with Christ's body. We're all parts of it, and it takes every one of us to make it complete, for we each have different work to do, so we belong to each other. Each of us needs all the others. We're all unique. Everyone in this room, we're, we're, you have a different gift than I, and, and we can't, we, we, all of us together make the body complete. You do not know parts of your body until you hit it. Or I was recently walking, and I hit my little toe and bent it back. I didn't realize I used that little toe so much. You know what I mean? 
And all of a sudden, you, so the hand can't say to the eye, I don't need you. The arm can't say to the foot, I don't need you. We, we need each other desperately. And in the body, all the parts grow together. In other words, if you're not attached to the body, I'm going to say this with all, you will not grow. You won't grow. You, you know, I have people come to me, well, Pastor Ken, I, I just love Jesus, and I, I just, you know, on and on about Jesus. And I said, well, what, what church do you belong to? What, what, well, who's your pastor? Who's your shepherd? Well, I just, Jesus is my shepherd. And, Jesus. and I, I often think to myself, you're not very mature, and you're not growing at all because you're not connected. You have to be connected. You have to have this, this uh, if I cut off my arm, my, my body still grows, but my arm doesn't. It dies. It withers. We have to be a part of the body of Christ. And that's, that's, that's a key element so that, that we, we respect and, and honor the parts of the bodies. We're joined together in his body by his strong sinews. The third, the third uh, uh, metaphor is a sheep and a flock. I just have one more. Sheep and a flock. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, God made us and we are his. We're his people, the sheep of his pasture. In a flock, the sheep are protected and cared for. They're, they're cared for. That's one of the functions of the ecclesia. We're going to get beat up out in the world, but in the church, we're to have people who will stand with us, who will encourage us, who will love us, who will support us, who will help us. We, and I've often said this, every person needs a pastor or needs a shepherd. And in a sense, we're all sheep and we're all shepherds. We're all, we all need someone to shepherd us and we all need someone to shepherd take care of the flock of God because we need to help each other uh, through blessing and encouraging. The last uh, metaphor is we're a member of a family. The Bible calls the church the family of God. 1 Timothy 3.15 I want you to know how people who are members of the God's family must live. God's family is the church. And Romans 12.10 says love each other like brothers and sisters. Do you know the phrase one another is, is stated 58 times in the New Testament? Love one another, care for one another, encourage one another, support one another, give to one another, help one another. On and on the list goes. That's what it means to be a member of the, of the family. Take care of one another. We're not just spectators. We're a part of the family of God. I, I'm going to... There's a little song that was sung, and I'm going to just read the words to you. You'll probably know what it is before I get to the end of it. It's, it goes like this. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. Those of you who are laughing, watch too much TV. That comes from the Cheers movie or TV. That isn't about a bar. That's about the church. Everybody knows our name. In a family, the members love each other. That should be the description of the church. I, I'm telling you, without, without the ecclesia, without the church, we're in desperate bad shape because you will not grow. And, and our, our everything is messed up. That's why we need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for our community. We need to pray for, you know, we just, we should have prayer. Frankly, we should have it 24 hours a day. Now, in a few weeks, we're going to be talking about how we're going to actually cause this to happen in the church, this connectedness. We're, we have a strategy and a plan we're going to implement this summer.
But I, I just want to, I, I want to tell you, I, I just, there's people in this house that have, that have been here. Uh, I want to, I want to tell you one story. Uh, my grandsons, I, I get a lot of information from my grandsons, so you better be careful around my grandsons. So they, they came to me, oh, a, f- a few weeks ago, and they were, they were talking to me, Papa, we just love Cayenne. And I'm going, oh, really? I like Kyan too. Yeah, Dad. Papa, they're just, he's just so good. We, can he come and stay with us? They see Kyan and they just go running to him. Well, let me tell you a story. Joe and Kara, are you here? Joe and Kara Martinez, a few years ago, saw this family move indoor to them, next door. They took a plate of, of food to them and invited him to church. A mother, a son, and his sister. They came to church, they got saved, they got planted in the house, changed their whole lives. The boy's name was Kyan. He now went through interns, feels called to the ministry, and he's helping raise my grandkids. That's what the house does. Now, you see, now Hillary Clinton was right about this, takes a village, but it's not the village she thought it was. It's the church. It takes the church to raise the kids. Because my grandkids have these heroes. And then Kyan has heroes. Every one of us, we need someone to look up to. That can only happen in the church. Can I give you the secret of my of Connie and I? Get in the house. Ah, boy, I could tell you, I could do a whole, I could do the rest of the afternoon and talk to you about this. But let me, let me just, I'm, I'm walking through the congregation, I think, of Ellen, who's been here for years and years. Follow me with the camera, Hannah. I see Michael and Natalie. Michael and Natalie came to the church before they had girls. And then they, all of a sudden they had four of them. What has the house meant to you? It's the place where you're planted. It's where the fruit grows. It's incredibly important. You have one of them. You have Bailey right here. You've been in the church how long? It'll be 30 years in October. 30 years. Now, God, these, these girls are really growing up now. She's in college and doing great. And all of them, we had two of them, this, uh, one or two this morning, first service. It's amazing. Then we have Jonathan. Jonathan, how long have you been in the church? 19 years, you came here from India, and these are, stand up, see how tall, show everybody how tall you're getting. They, their goal is to get as taller, taller than Pastor Ken. I think they're, I think they're going to do it. Jonathan and Nancy came here, got planted, God changed their lives, and they're here because of the house of God. I go around the room here, and I, I just, I saw Joel back there. You can't hide from me, Joel. Joel, you how come you're are you are you backsliding going to the back or you used to sit in second row and and I remember Joel years ago. He was up this is before he's married to who he's married now, and God was moving in his life and God now he how many kids do you have now? Seven. Seven kids. He's raised him in the house of God. Glenda, you've been here how many years? 30 years. 30 years. 
Come on, give me a hug. She's every Sunday she comes to me and gives my me a pastor hug. Thirty years, Glenda. Matt and Kim, how many years have you guys been here? Eighteen years. This little guy was just a little guy, not even born. So basically he was he was born. Yeah, he totally was. <laughs> You were singing in the choir, pregnant with him. Come on, people. This is what it's all about. This is family. And uh, those of you who God God wants to plant you here, you will flourish where you're planted. I want to do something. We're in hand. You, are you catching what I'm saying today? I'm telling you this secret of my life. If I if I if you said, Pastor Ken, what's your secret? The house of God. The house of God. I can, everything else is a part of it, but it starts with the house. Okay.